Welcome back to the Hammerslay Inquisition, the world's most self-indulgent interview show. I am Jason Hammerslay, and by way of introducing my honored guest for today's episode, I'd like to acknowledge a couple of elephants in the room, and their names are Time and Change. I am 43 years old now, and while I would consider most of the folks I speak with here my dearest friends, the fact is I haven't spent much quality time with most of them in the past 20 years. You know, as you get older, everyone's circles get smaller, and maintaining long-distance relationships becomes sadly impractical. This is, I think, the main reason that Facebook is successful, despite the fact that content-wise, it's basically a cross between a Coca-Cola commercial and a toxic waste dump. So the big question that I'm confronting with this podcast experiment is whether that time apart has fundamentally changed me and or my friends in a way that makes those relationships artificial especially since I'm talking mostly to people that I knew best in high school or college, where everyone is a fetus, emotionally speaking. And I think that there are two prevailing conventional theories on this. You can argue that everyone is naturally affected and altered by the passage of time and their unique, traumatic, epiphanic experiences and ends up being a different person than when they started. And maybe that's just life, the point of life. But then again, you could also argue that people essentially are who they are. And any apparent differences that develop over time are just superficial poses or mechanisms for coping with a chaotic world. My own thinking sort of splits the difference between those two views. I suspect that time ultimately makes us more of who we really are to begin with. Kind of like chefs say that salt makes something taste more like itself. If we're brave, time makes us braver. If we're impatient, time makes us more so. And if it seems like someone has changed, it's not the current person who is inauthentic. It's the former version of that person that was searching or pretending. My guest today, I think, will measure that theory because she is the person who, outwardly at least, seems to have changed the most since I knew her best. I remember Maria Rose Cook, then called Maria Nespeca, as a sweet, brassy, but shy nerd like me. And she has since grown into the bold, smoky, badass boss that I only caught glimpses of in high school. But she has always been brilliant and soulful, and now she's on the phone with me. Hello, Maria. Hi. Wow, what an introduction. I have no idea how I could possibly live up to that, but thank you. I don't know. We're going to try. As always, we start out with questions and tangents and answers. Questions and tangents and answers. Now, Maria, you are professionally a doctor of pharmacy, which, according to Wikipedia, means that you can practice independently and prescribe drugs directly to patients. Is that correct? It actually depends on the state and um, what's allowed per state. Uh, currently in New York State, I cannot do that, but I can modify patients' therapies to optimize their outcomes. And that's essentially what I do at the hospital I work at. But the... <laughs> 
the premise holds that you hold people's lives in your hands with your ability to prescribe medications. The potential is there, yes. So if I were to say, I want a new drug, one that won't make me sick, one that won't make me crash my car or make me feel three feet thick. Do you have any suggestions? Well, I would say to update your um, discography, first and foremost, but at the same time... I think you underestimate the power of Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> I definitely appreciate the power of Huey Lewis in the news and certainly the power of love. Okay, well, so do I have to rely on uh, the Dr. Dre album, The Chronic? I certainly won't report you if that's where you feel you need to go. All right, very well. Well, let's, uh, let's start at the beginning. Where were you born? I was born in Chicago, Illinois. So apparently your parents grew tired of the quiet boredom of Chicago and sought out the hustle and bustle of suburban Rochester, New York. Is that correct? I couldn't have said it better myself. And you have basically spent your life in Western New York, Rochester and Buffalo, right? Oh, I definitely have upstate New York, Rochester or Buffalo the whole time. So have you ever seriously considered living permanently somewhere more temperate like Greenland? Believe it or not, with my ghostly pale skin, I was a hair away from moving to Austin, Texas. I am in love with Austin, Texas. I went there multiple times over the course of two years. And the only reason I did not move is because me and the other finalist for this one position were neck and neck and she could start immediately. And I had to give a four week notice at my current job. And that's the only reason I did not move to Austin, Texas about six years ago. I can totally imagine you keeping it weird in Austin. I do love the weird. I can't lie. Which I suppose explains to some degree why we're friends. Anyway, switching gears and, and turning our attention back to Webster for a moment. You and I were in a group that was thrown out of a Perkins family restaurant for being too loud after our junior prom. What is your favorite <laughs> breakfast food? <laughs> Oh, do I even dare say it right now? Well, all right. I very frequently do love a good oatmeal, okay? Oatmeal is my favorite breakfast that I eat on a consistent basis. However, if I am to go out to eat, I will get, she says sheepishly behind the covers, an avocado toast. It is just so scrumptious. Avocado toast, as uh, sort of bougie as it may be, <laughs> It's still pretty badass compared to oatmeal. So I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you credit for that. Oatmeal is just so darn good for you, though. It's, it really is. If there was a breakfast of champions, I would challenge many things up against a good bowl of oatmeal. Are you a steel-cut purist? I'm not, actually. I'm an overnight oats person because my brain is barely working when I wake up in the morning. And as simple as I can make it, that's how, that's how I do well, as far as breakfasts of champions go, I guess you'd get agreement from Secretariat, who was known to favor oats. I am a slave to flapjacks myself, but you're the medical professional, so I guess I'll defer to you with regard to nutritional value. Oh, thank you. Now, speaking of breakfast foods, you are allergic to eggs, isn't that right? Oh, deadly allergic. Are you also allergic to chicken? I am. So what came first? The chicken allergy or the egg allergy? I'm just going to clear this up for everyone right now. The egg allergy. You heard it here first, folks. That's coming <laughs> from a medical professional. Yeah. Now, do I understand correctly that you are a vegetarian? I am. I'm actually a vegan. Don't they throw you out of Buffalo for that? 
you know, one would think, but at the same time, there is a flock of people here, and I did pick that word on purpose, who do eschew the chicken wings altogether. And we basically just talk to each other and tell each other where to get the really good vegan crap here. (laughs) Wait a second. So as a vegan, you can't even eat chicken? I'm pretty sure that chicken counts as a vegetable now. I'll send you some literature on that. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm always willing to learn, Jason. You were perhaps best known in high school for being positioned behind a cello. In fact, you may have been the best youth cellist in the greater Rochester area at that time. Youth orchestras, all county, all state. Do you think you would have been as successful if you had taken up the accordion? That was the first instrument I ever picked up because I'm Polish. So my mom actually had an accordion, and that is the first instrument I actually remember trying to play and remember thinking it sounded like something dying and I couldn't pinpoint what it was. Was it your hopes of ever being popular? You know, those died later. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I still was young, full of hope. What can I say? But I heard the accordion and I said, I don't know how to make this beautiful. So we're just going to try something else. And actually, I wasn't even supposed to play the cello. I was supposed to play the oboe. Oh, woodwinds. I was woodwinds. Apparently, I scored perfectly on my oboe test when we lived in Chicago. Because in Chicago, you started instruments in fifth grade, not fourth grade. So when we moved to Rochester between fourth and fifth grade, I was already a year behind everyone. So I had to pick an instrument lickety-split, and Clem South did not have an oboe available for me to play. So I just picked cello literally out of the blue because that's what my mom played for four years in high school. That's literally the only reason I chose cello. Well, oboe's loss was cello's gain, right? Because you picked it up and ran with it. I felt like I did, yeah. Yeah, and I still play to this day, actually. Certain certain things I can still make beautiful and certain things I should probably work on harder, but I can definitely still make it sing. And that makes me very happy. That's cool. I don't know if you're a classical music fan. Have you ever made out to classical music? Oh, God, yes. Oh, my God. You're just reminding me of my freshman year of college right now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The very first day we moved into the dorms, Bolero, man, just kind of gets you going. And We met the guys down the hall, we and my three roommates, and, you know, it was a fun time. Not going to lie. Very good memories. Well, what is college for, if not uh, lighting the old lava lamp and getting busy to the William Tell Overture? I wouldn't do it to flight of the bumblebee. That might feel a little little chaotic. But, Maria, we're literally talking about the birds and the bees. Bees do it. Oh, my God. Don't even. I don't think so. On the topic of music... Your name is, of course, regarded as one of the most sonorous and inspirational in the English language. <laughs> what is your favorite Maria-based tune? Um, Gounod's Ave Maria, I believe, is just stunningly beautiful to my ears. But at the same time, I hated with a passion for the longest time. I hated Maria from West Side Story until maybe mid-twenties. And then finally, instead of just feeling like I was getting embarrassed every time I heard someone singing my name, I really just thought about how just passionately beautiful that song is and how lucky I am to have my name attached to something with such power for so many people who listen to it. On the subject of names, while we've established that everyone loves Maria, 
for a time you adopted a pseudonym for your Facebook account. Can you share what that was? The only pseudonym I went by on Facebook was Regina Violet. That's it. That like interesting sounding to you for some reason? I thought it sounded exotic and vaguely like a James Bond villain. What was the story behind that? So it's a big six degrees of separation kind of story. But, you know, Maria is another name for Mary. And Mary is considered queen of heaven in, in, in the religion, let's say Catholic religion that I was brought up in. And Salve Regina is one of the things you say to kind of like honor Mary. So I just used, I like the name Regina as well. So Regina was my pseudonym for my first name. And because my name is Maria Rose, I picked a color that I very much like. So I just changed it to Regina Violet. (laughs) And that's literally the whole freaking story. I wasn't even aware that that heaven had a queen. I just assumed it was a representative democracy. I'm not really sure who votes, though. Well, landowning males, probably. Oh, well, we got to fix that. I got to get up there. Well, no rush, please. All right. Maria, you are related to a certain big-time Hollywood director. If you had a time machine, would you feel comfortable driving 88 miles an hour? I had a Mustang, so I have driven 88 miles per hour. Whoa. Did you do that on the (laughs) Autobahn or a mall parking lot? You know, no, I didn't, actually. I did do it on the 290, though, which sometimes is the same thing. So if you had a time machine and you only had enough plutonium for one round trip, would you go to the past or the future? Oh, I would definitely go to the past. Interesting. (laughs) Why? Well, you know, not to get too deep about it here, but I mean, would you go back to just observe or to like change some stuff? I would go back to make some very selective stock investments. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Come on. It's, so it's a, it's a capitalist move. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't really necessarily want to be the person who I was before because I am where I am today based on the journey that I've taken for nearly 43 years, which as we all are. But I mean, really, come on. If you had a chance to go back in time and put in just the right like stock portfolio, come on. Who wouldn't? All right, you've made your case. You are a longtime fan of everything Disney, Marvel, Fantasy Worlds, Talking Animals, basically anything with a Happy Meal tie-in. <laughs> Maria, what is your fantasy? Besides a well-diversified stock portfolio, apparently. Oh, no, no, no. Well, that's nice. I mean, that's a nice thing. That's, that's more strategery than a fantasy, I think. God, what would be my fantasy? That's, that's a really good question. As my husband says, I'm really good at spinning the plates and I'm really good at making the earthly things work. And I guess I don't get too stuck in fantasy because I'm too busy making my reality the best I can. You know, okay, so here's my here here would be a fantasy. At one point in time, I went three months between jobs. I finished my job at Wegmans before starting my job at um, the hospital that I currently work at. And at that time, I was offered the chance to um, help out a friend in England because she's a makeup artist. And she's not just like a, you know, on the side makeup artist. She's a highfalutin makeup artist. And I guess if I had a fantasy, and now there's, that's also a time machine question too. I guess that's kind of a tie-in. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be, I guess, a fantasy of mine would be just something to do where I could let my brain relax, still do some work and have energy at the end of the day to do anything else I I felt 
the desire to do because it is really taxing when you're using your brain all day, every day. And I know people would probably laugh at that. And it's like, everybody uses their brain all day, every day. Well, I mean, sometimes I come home and I find it hard to speak a sentence <laughs> because my- Yeah, the, the people mean, who say that obviously don't watch the news. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not even exaggeration. Like I forgot the word pen the other day. Like that thing that you hold, that you write your name with. My husband's like, pen? I'm like, yes, pen. Where's the pen? So, yeah, I guess the fantasy would be having a little more brain life balance. I'll call it work life balance, but a little more brain life balance. That would be that would be a fantasy that I think would be something that would foster a lot of happiness because <laughs> I'd be I, able to work on a balance that way. I like it. It's spectacular yet practical. It's spectacular. <laughs> I kind of feel like that's me, man. That's just me. Well, that's enough of the questions from me. How about we give the power to the people? It's time for questions from the listening audience. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience? Oh, God, this is always death. This is the part of the program where I give the listeners an opportunity to ask a question of my guest. Since I have no listeners, though, I'm going to pass along questions that have been posed to different podcasts. Are you ready for this, Maria? I can't possibly be, but go right ahead. Our first audience question was asked of the happiest podcast on Earth, which features Disney cast members talking about their experiences and thoughts pertaining to the Walt Disney World Resort and company. Greg asks, if you could spend a day with one Disney character, who would it be and why? If I could spend a day with one Disney character, I think it would be Maleficent, clearly before she was killed. Because I've always had this fascination with the powerful female Disney characters. And in that case, I don't think there's a more powerful, literally, female Disney character. And I'm just curious as to what her thought process was. So if I could walk a day in her shoes... And just kind of give, you know, get a great interview and see what made her tick. That would be awesome for me, actually. Now, I'm not super informed on Disney. Everything I know is basically from commercials and other promotional material. Isn't Maleficent like pure evil? Uh, I mean, what's pure evil? But yes. Our next question was posed to a podcast called Unf*** Your Brain. With Kara Lowenthal, which describes itself as the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. Okay. And Kara Lowenthal was asked, what do you think is the most helpful question to ask ourselves? Hmm. What can I do today that will make me better than tomorrow in any aspect? How can I improve even slightly on yesterday? You kind of sound like a life coach. Very self-actualizing. I've thought about that actually quite frequently. And that's, to me, the only real question to ask. You know, you could just cycle through each day and just live the doldrums of your life. Or you could do a little something each day to improve something in your world. And I think that's really the only thing we should be striving to do. So it's not even just what can I do to improve myself, but what can I do to improve the world around me? 
I think it's however, I mean, I'm talking specifically from a personal point of view, mm. but I think if you improve yourself, improving the world around you will happen as a, a side effect, if you will. I'm going to go right ahead and use a pharmacist term there. A side effect will happen because if you're improving yourself, you're going to feel better about yourself. If you're better about yourself, you're going to be a better person to the people around you. And I think that has a domino effect. All right. Well, uh, that's a very thoughtful question and just in time because it is time to get real up in here. In this segment, we're going to put the silly away for a moment and bring out the big question. This part is called, But Seriously. Seriously. And right up front, I want to thank you, Maria, for your willingness to be candid, because this could be a bit of a sensitive topic. I want to start with a flashback to November 2005. We were both attending our 10-year high school reunion, and we must have been making small talk. It was early in the evening, because you mentioned then that you had gotten or were getting a divorce. And I know that I instinctually said, oh, I'm sorry, and was about to activate and run my empathy program when you stopped me cold and said, don't be, I'm not. And that moment has always stuck with me. And I often wonder if that, that defiance represented an authentic triumph of the human spirit or if it was you putting on a brave face at a tough time. And so I put that question to you, which one of those things was it and, and how did you get there? Hmm. I think at that particular point in time, I was cycling through both feeling that that was truly an authentic thing and then trying to convince myself that it was because going through something like that is a process and that was early in the process. And I had some extremely good days after that and some extremely low days. Thinking about myself, thinking about how I failed or how I perceived myself to have failed in a relationship that I, that I thought was supposed to be something I was expected to be in, if you would, for the rest of my life. And, and that was part of the process, was realizing that for that particular relationship, the expectation was something where I was relying on externals. Like, this is what was expected of me versus me expecting it from myself. And you were a, and always have been, an extraordinarily successful person at whatever you do. And so, I mean, do you think of that as a, a failure? I mean, everyone fails at something sometimes, or was it something else? No, I, I, I think that was a, that's a really good question. And I absolutely thought of it as not only did I think of it as a failure, I thought of it as the biggest failure. And I thought of myself as extremely weak for having failed. I'm, you know, I'm going to use air quotes for that, for having failed so hard at something that felt, uh, I, I felt as if I was getting scrutinized. Whether I was or I was not is irrelevant. I felt like because I failed and I had this divorce, I felt like I was wearing a scarlet letter only instead of an A, it was a D. And a lot of divorced people feel that way. You feel almost like you're, at least at first, 
you feel to one degree or another, like somehow now you're damaged and going into a relationship after that, someone's going to see that this person was broken or there's something wrong with them. So stay away. Or I, I don't know. This is just the stuff that goes through your own head when you're going through, through a divorce. But to be honest with you, when I, when I sat back and thought about it, and as I was getting on in my healing process, which frankly took the better part of a year or more, um, I should never have married that person to begin with because the night before my wedding, my maid of honor was in the room with me and we opened up a bottle of wine and I cried. I cried on her shoulder. She said, why are you crying? And the answer that came out was, I don't know if I deserve him. That was the answer that came out. Now, that was incredibly inauthentic to say because it was not true. What was going through my mind was, is this all there is for me in life? And that's Mm. not something that you should be thinking about the night before you're getting married to someone. Right. (laughs) So if anyone out there listening has that thought at all, don't do it. (laughs) Just don't do it. It's not the right thing to do. And fast forward a few years later, we were on a cruise and we were on our second cruise. We had taken my parents uh, on a cruise with the, the two of us. So it was just the four of us, my parents and my husband and I. And I had an allergic reaction to eggs. It was accidental. Um, It should not have happened, but it was bad. It was a very bad allergic reaction. To this date, by far the worst one of my life. As the evening progressed, about two hours into it, I kept going in and out of consciousness, in and out of consciousness. And at one point in time, I was so far out of consciousness that nothing was black anymore. Everything was white Everything was calm. And for the first time in hours, nothing hurt. It was just fine. Everything was okay. And then a moment later, I snapped back into my body. Everything hurt like hell again. I opened my eyes. I looked around. My mother was right next to me. This is the part where I always get a lump in my throat about 14, 15 years later. This is scary. It was. It was very scary. But my mom was next to me. My father was a few feet away, burying his head because he couldn't watch his daughter pass. He was scared he was watching his daughter pass. And the thing that left the biggest impression on me was the fact that my husband was not even in the room. He went back to the room, our stateroom, to wait it out because he was tired. And at that moment, it was the catalyst, several years into a very rocky marriage, it was the catalyst for me to realize that this isn't the person who's going to stick by me. My instincts were right to not want to marry this person in the first place or to think that this wasn't right for some reason. And that particular incident brought it to a head. The incident is its story in and of itself. But You know, after that incident, I had months of a post-traumatic stress response. I went to therapy. I was on medication because every time I went to sleep, I thought I was going to not wake up because it was so vivid and so frightening because I felt that pain all over again in my dreams, the physical pain. 
And he was fine with me going through it, but was not supportive. I do not want to badmouth this person. I want to say that right now. Good for him for living his own life with who, you know, however he's living it right now. I do not wish poor things upon him at all. Because if anything, what ended up happening through a marriage that didn't work, and I think any marriage that doesn't work, I learned so much about myself and how to be a stronger version of myself um, that I can now look back and only be grateful that I made it through everything to become who I am now. Let's say, first of all, thank goodness there were no kids involved. You could just make that that clean break and chalk it up to uh, a learning experience, which I think you did. Mm-hmm. Did that experience going forward make you more scared or did it make you feel better prepared to get married again? I think it made me better prepared in terms of who I would be in a marriage relationship. It did make me slightly more hesitant to look at it as the end goal, if you would. I was more able to look at relationships as what they were. And, you know, I had a handful of them after, you know, my divorce. And now I'm married again and I have a kid. And I wanted to have a kid. You know, I thought I was going to have a kid with my first husband. But he even said to me, I don't want to have kids with you. He actually said that to me. So that that wasn't a nice thing to say. And and that hurts someone when they actually do want to have kids. Yeah. So, you know, that's another sign. You know, the sign they weren't signs. They were just hammers on the head. I was just thinking I needed to just stick it out because that was the right thing to do. And I was wrong. It was not the right thing to do. But it did make me hesitant toward marriage itself. But that didn't make me bitter. It just made me more, I think I gave it more of the the gravity that it needs. Well, and I'm glad that it helped because it sounds like it helped you to understand what you're worth and allowed you to find someone who was worthy of you. I think so. I do. Well, Maria, thank you for dredging all that up. At this point, I I have to sheepishly confess that I, I know I have been guilty of buying into that stigma of divorced people. Not necessarily you, because I know you better than that, but I know I've fallen into that trap of assuming that divorced people are somehow damaged goods, uh, whether because I assume that they're fundamentally flawed or that they got messed up in the divorce themselves. And it's not something I do consciously, and it's not something that I'm proud of. But I will say that I have a few friends who have gotten divorced. My brother's gotten divorced. And... When I see how it has made them stronger in the broken places, as Hemingway would say, it's not something that I would wish on anyone. But I really admire the courage it takes to fail and turn that failure into fuel. Well, thank you for saying that. And I definitely want to add that everyone who's gone through it, that takes work. And if anything... The people who come out stronger, I admire the work and mental fortitude it took to go through that process. Okay, well, everyone put your handkerchiefs away. 
in this next segment, I ask my guests to ask me a question. And this segment is called Turn the Tables. Turn the Tables. So now it's payback time for you, Maria. Give me your worst. Well, I don't think it's so bad, but I'm wondering if you could import something from today into your high school life, be it a thing, an ideal, a thought process, what would it be? And vice versa. Like if you could import or if you could have something from high school with you now, what would it be? Okay. So it's an import export question. Yes, it really is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in terms of uh, importing something from my youth into today, I feel like maybe you want me to say my hair, but I don't actually miss it that much. Oh my God. I swear on anything that's worthy to be sworn upon. I did not think of that at all. At all. It's cool. It's cool. I mean, some people (laughs) might say that. Uh, My hair was never my best feature. Uh, Never easy to manage. And honestly, on a full body basis, I would probably prefer to have less hair. Oh my word. Uh, You know, I wouldn't mind having my 18-year-old body and metabolism back. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But that that feels pretty superficial. I guess on a grander scale, I actually have a lot to choose from about things that things from the old high school days that I would, you know, bring to the future. I'm on record as publicly loving my high school years, like a real weirdo. I I know I'm sort of unusual in that respect. And one thing that, the one thing that immediately jumps to mind is having the opportunity to perform on stage, Mm -hmm. which is something I'm not talented enough uh, or f- flamboyant enough to do now in real life. And I got to do that all the time in high school. And there's a, a part of me that misses that. But even as I th- think about that experience of being on stage, and this is probably this is probably too easy and on brand for this podcast, but whatever. The thing I miss most really is my friends. and And I think more to the point that the kind of friendships that I had back then, because I I mean, I don't know about you. I think this is universal. Maybe it's not, but I find that it's really hard to sustain friendships as an adult person and, and just forget about making friends after your thirties. I mean, (laughs) I consider it a small victory when I can summon enough charm to maintain a two-minute conversation with a fellow parent at a kid's birthday party. And I'm just totally exhausted afterwards. So the idea of seeing my dozen or so closest friends every single day, like I did in high school, being involved in their lives, working on projects together, sharing in everyone's little victories and tragedies, laughing constantly. The closest I can get to that right now is obviously my life with my wife and daughter, which is, which is of course, deeply fulfilling on an emotional and biological level, but it's also really hard work. 
And I miss how easy friendship was in high school, even if it didn't always seem like it at the time. The idea of going to lunch with my dozen best friends every day is something that I will cherish in my memory until the day that I die. And I know that those people would not be the same if they made them all 40 years old and living on my street. But part of the reason I'm doing this podcast is to sort of embrace those moments again, even if it's just on a one-on-one basis. So what you're seeing, what you're experiencing right now, Maria, is sort of the the fulfillment of that wish of bringing those people back into my current day life. So I, I, I feel good about the answer to that part of the question. On the export side, like what would I take now and give to 18-year-old Jason Hammersley? I... This sort of ties into something that you were saying earlier, because I don't think that I would want to send anything back to my prior self that would change his life too much, because I'm a big believer in uh, one's failures and hardships making a person stronger. And so going back and giving myself stock tips or the Chick-fil-A recipe or something like that. That that feels like a cheap move to me, like a shortcut. And so I I feel like I would be reluctant to do that because I would be afraid that if I if I told 18-year-old Jason Hammersley to invest in Amazon, I feel like I wouldn't have my wife and my daughter right now. And that feels like the worst tragedy I can imagine. I guess I'm, I am a more confident and peaceful person than I was as a teenager. But those things also were sort of hard won. And I think that makes them more durable. So I wouldn't want to just sort of bestow that on young Jason Hammersley either. I will say that when I was younger, I was good at holding grudges about slights and wrongs, uh, real and imagined. And I, I think that grudges can be okay sometimes because they represent sticking up for yourself and not settling for something less than what you feel you deserve and holding firm to your principles. But one of the most important things that I learned in my 20s is that holding a grudge is just being stubborn and selfish and short-sighted. You know, there's that old saying that holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. More importantly, though, holding a grudge gets in the way of having empathy, which is also just really, really important and something that I'm constantly trying to explain to my daughter. And as much as I wouldn't want to change anything that got me where I am today, I know there are people in my life that I probably could have treated with more empathy if not for holding some sort of immature 
grudge. Those are people that maybe I could have helped by being more of a friend. And, and so I, I guess I would tell, I would give 18-year-old Jason Hammersley the peace of mind of knowing that it's okay to let go of things. I think that would be a pretty modest adjustment, though. There are still at least a handful of people who should go directly to hell. But, <laughs> but if I had to, if I had to give my past self one thing, I guess that would be it. Did you have an expectation of something that you thought I was going to say, or something that sticks with you? I mean, other than bringing fiestadas into your daily, you know, lunchbox today, I really didn't know, and that's why I asked it. I was curious as to what your answer would be because I also think that kind of question kind of helps me catch up with you as well. Yeah, well, thanks for mentioning <laughs> fiestadas. <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, that was, I guess the proper term would be a tostada, a Mexican pizza. I, I called it the uh, crown jewel of the school lunch. And it looked for all the world like a fake vomit, right? Am I right about that? I thought it was pretty good, but it did oh, it not look appealing. It tasted, it tasted great. <laughs> Believe me, I was there for Fiestada Day. Even if I was <laughs> sick, I was there for Fiestada Day. But if you were to see it in a picture, uh, you know, I haven't done a Google image search of it, but it is thoroughly unappetizing to look at. And so I feel like if I were to see one on my plate today, I, I would really have to rely on the memory of that flavor to carry me through because... As I was saying, my metabolism ain't what it used to be. So for something to look like that and have that kind of uh, nutritional content or lack thereof, it would have to be pretty special. And I'm very reluctant to uh, revisit that memory. Anyway, it's now time for the easiest game in podcasting because there are no wrong answers. It's time for... Word association. Word association. So, Maria, I will give you 10 words, one at a time, and all you have to do is say the first word or short phrase that comes into your head. Are you ready to clear your mind? That is a big, that is a tall order for me. My mind always spins, but I'm going to do my best. Get okay. ready. Okay, we're ready. Right. We're ready. Here we go. Day. Night. Left. <laughs> Politics. Oh, you see, I, I tried to start out with easy ones, you know, day, night, left, right. But mm -hmm. you went right to politics, which I think I, I, it tells you how uh, in touch with the news you are. I'd prefer to be out of touch right now, but I mean, uh, here we are. Wouldn't we all? <laughs> Moving on. Sky. Blue. Foul. Chicken. You know, I did spell it with a W. We are in the same wavelength. <laughs> nice. High five for, from hundreds of miles away. Way to go. Cook. My last name. All right. Easy one. Dress. Um, ball gown. Book. Shelf. Jazz. Hands. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just imagining you doing jazz hands. I literally did with only my left hand because my right hand is holding my phone. But 
100% yes, I did. Extortion. <clears throat> Government. <laughs> wow, we're getting deep <laughs> here. Okay, last one. Skin. Pale. <laughs> Tail? Pale, like- as in the color of my skin. Oh. It's very, very pale. <laughs> You'll be happy to know that you passed. This, we, oh, we did thank this. God. I grade this on a pass-fail basis. Sweet. For our grand finale, it is time for the segment that's half eulogy and half apology. I call it Eul Apologies. Listen, if you please, Eul Apologies. And once again, I will begin with a memory. I first got to know you, Maria, in ninth grade mostly as a friend of friends. I mean, I'm sure I met you before ninth grade, but it wasn't until then that I really got to know you. And I recall our own friendship growing slowly until one day late in that year when you invited me to go with you to Seabreeze, which is, for my listeners who don't know, the small historic amusement park uh, located on Lake Ontario Beach. That itself is something that is admirable about you, Maria, because we didn't know each other all that well at that time. And I felt like you took a chance on me just by asking me to go with you. And it's an example, this is going to be a theme, of you giving me a push in the right direction. And I remember I remember being scared to accept the invitation. Like I remember talking about it with the people at my lunch table, like, should I go? And it's not because of you. I thought you were cool and interesting and nice, but because to that point, I had never been on a roller coaster before. And I thought, that's right. And I thought that if you saw what a Freddy cat I was, <laughs> not only would you not want to be my friend anymore, but you would tell all of your friends that I was a loser dork and no one would want to hang out with me. Ultimately, thank goodness. I gathered up the courage to go, although I still wasn't sure I could ride in the coaster with you. And again, you coaxed and pushed and convinced me to loosen up and just get on the damn roller coaster, (laughs) which I did. And I feel like that was a major inflection point in my life, even though the only other thing that I remember about that day is the mortifyingly inappropriate thing that I said in front of your mother on the car ride home. Do you remember that, by the way? I feel like I remember that it was no bueno, but I can't remember what it was. Okay. It was horrible because it was like my first real impression on your mom. And, you know, she's a pretty conservative person. Yes. And she was so nice to me. And she asked if we had fun. And I said, are you, are you, is it flashing back to you now? Oh, it's like on the tip of my brain. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I don't mean to interrupt. Now, maybe I was <laughs> overcome with roller coaster fueled exhilaration. But I said, as much fun as a guy could have without protection. <laughs> and I just remember her going silent and her oh. face. Her face turned white. And like for the rest of the ride, I thought, oh, my God, she's never going to let me hang out with her daughter ever again. (laughs) And so anyway, with respect to apologies, 
uh, let me offer your mom and I'm sorry by proxy. <laughs> How do you remember this so well? It's unbelievable to me. Oh, that wow. I, I will never forget that because I'm usually really good with moms. <laughs> and that was a bad impression. Anyway, oh, my word. Anyway, so on a number of levels, that was a very influential day for me. <laughs> and right around that same time in our freshman year, you were also the one who encouraged me to try out for show choir. I, I think we were just sitting outside waiting for a late bus or something. And mm -hmm. you said, let's go to tryouts, which you were planning to do already. I had no idea what show choir was but I did it on a lark and that was basically my life for the next three years. It helped define who I was. And I think back on that, how those little things made such a big influence on my life and who I became. And I think everyone should have a friend like Maria who sees the very best in you and pushes and pushes and pushes you to be your most actualized self. And I'm very grateful that I had the original Maria to give me that, that kick in the pants that I needed. So thank you. That was so, so kind of you. Thank you very much. As for other regrets, besides the horrible car comment, I can certainly include you in my great big blanket apology for being a self-involved teenage boy. I'm sure there were times when I could have been a better, more sensitive friend. And more pointedly, I also want to apologize directly to you. If I was ever overly judgy after high school, when you went away to college, and you embraced that freedom and you were partying and you somehow joined a fraternity and it basically seemed like you were just having the time of your life while I remained this straight-edged square. And so I probably thought and maybe even said some snooty, judgmental things. I never got the impression that you ever took what I had to say very seriously, which is good. But I hate to think that I ever made you feel bad about living your life and searching things out and, and finding the Maria that you turned out to be. We all had our growing up to do in different ways, certainly. So I, I guess you helped push me to do that, too. But anyway, I just want to say I'm, I'm sorry if you ever felt that from me. Well, I can tell you right now, I absolutely did not ever, not once. If anything, I think being in college and allowing myself the freedom that I allowed myself while still going toward my goal of completing pharmacy school, um, it kind of helped me realize that, you know, when we were teenagers, you know, or just a few years before, we were still learning about ourselves because here I was learning even more about myself. So my only impressions of of you and the people that I considered my bestest, bestest, yes, my bestest friends of high school, I just look back with a lot of gratitude 
that we all put up with each other going through all of that together. And anybody who's truly holding on to those hard feelings is probably still working some stuff out themselves. I don't anticipate that anyone who would be listening to the podcast would fall into that category. I'm glad you mentioned that because bringing this back around, I started this episode by saying that you're the person who changed most outwardly from when I knew you best. And I think I still believe that. And I guess I just feel a little sad that the person I knew really well and remember isn't exactly the same person anymore, the same person you are now. But all of that anxiety is outweighed by the fact that the person you are now is so much happier and more confident and comfortable in your own skin. And I I don't know if you ever listened to the Song Exploder podcast, but they show you how a song starts from idea to final product. And I think it's like when you hear a demo tape that initial idea of a song and everything is raw and natural and you just fall in love with the the purity of it. But then you hear the finished song and you're just blown away by how everything comes together. I'm just so proud to have witnessed that evolution and to hear that finished song. Aww, I thank you very much for saying that. And I have to agree <laughs> with what you just said. I mean, I've definitely felt like I was a, a little kind of behind, if you would. And I felt like I had a lot of, there was like a thumb on me growing up, mostly from family, you know, and f- familial expectations. And then when I was finally, in my mind, allowed to blossom into myself, I did it quickly, kind of more like nuclear fission versus <laughs> an actual blossoming of a flower, if you would. And I'm sure that Bolero guy from your first week of college is thankful for that. (laughs) Exactly. Well, Dr. Maria Rose Nespeca Regina Violet Cook, thus endeth the Hammersley Inquisition. Thank you again to Maria, my past and future guests, and all the listeners out there. If you have any comments, concerns, questions, compliments, or complaints, you can reach out at hammerslay at gmail.com. The main title theme was generously provided by Jason Menkes at Copilot Music and Sound. All of my opinions and bad jokes are solely my own and do not represent the views of my employer, my family, my friends, and especially my guests. Until next time, my name is Jason Hammerslay. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. The Inquisition, what a show. The Inquisition, here we go. We know you're wishing that we'd go away. But the Inquisition's here and it's here to stay.